0: everyone. I'm Anna-Marie Clifton, product manager at Yammer. And I'm Sandy McPherson, founder at Quibb. The book that we're going to be talking about today is called On Writing Well, The Classic Guide to Writing Nonfiction. It was written by William Zinser and was originally published way back in 1976. And to date, it has sold approximately 1.5 million copies. William, unfortunately, passed away just about a year ago, but he was, he started his career at the New York Herald Tribune. He also wrote for Life. He then moved and taught at Yale and then the new school at Columbia University University's Graduate School of Journalism. During his writing career, he wrote an amazing 18 books. And a little fun fact to throw in about William was he wrote a musical called What's the Point, (laughs) which was performed off-Broadway in 2003. Did not know that. Hmm. Fascinating. Fun
1: fact. Hmm. Uh, And just to orient you a little bit on the contents of the book, uh, it's written in four parts. He structures it around talking about part one, the principles of writing, and goes into some issues around style and usage and very strunk and white-esque aspects. And then he goes into methods and different bits about how to construct a story. Then he spends kind of the bulk of the book talking about the different forms of writing from narrative, short story, memoir, sports. sports.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was my... Uh, Potentially sp- the part that I skipped. S- we skipped that Maybe chapter. time pressure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there are just various forms that writing could take. And then he wraps it up with a chapter on attitude and really kind of general advice to writers and how to be a writer, not just how to write.
0: So, I think we're ready to dive in. Am I starting? It Absolutely. looks like it looks like I'm starting with the points today. Well, you know,
1: I just wanted to actually jump in first with a micro point. Okay. I have a micro point. <laughs> sure. I am really excited to talk about this book with you Oh Because I think you and I both do a lot of writing mm-hmm. Writing is very central to our identities and our professional work As well as just what we are excited to do True And it's also how we came to be friends originally I remember reading oh, yeah. something that you had <laughs> written And that's I was like, oh,
0: I like the way this lady's mind works uh, Well, that, so. that's good to hear Considering that would have been like a year and a half ago at this point Yeah, and maybe so, two years Which, I mean, at this point I'm like, wow, I was such a bad writer then <laughs> So... <laughs> Oh, that's that's I'm like, oh, okay, oh, it is to year. Quite painful to look back. Yeah, it is on your which writing. I'm sure we will get to absolutely somewhere during this episode. Alright, well on that micro note. On that micro note, yes, good micro note. One of the points that I really enjoyed that he speaks to basically throughout the whole book was how it's really important just to focus on you and mm-hmm. this idea that it's your voice, it's your style, it's your taste, and that is the only thing that you can really offer and that is the only unique thing that you can bring to the table when you're writing and he speaks to how it's a difficult thing to do because you're in this state of trying to express your opinions but it comes across best if you're relaxed but you also need confidence and Mm -hmm. so it's this weird it's just a difficult thing to to balance and I pulled a little quote from the book where he says writing is an act of ego and you might as well admit it (laughs) (laughs) and it was sort of like yeah it's true but at the same time it's one of these things where recently I had a conversation with a friend where we were talking about something that I had written and he was like you know it's really great that you wrote this because people need I I was writing something about like women in tech or like professional women or something and he was like yeah this is really great like my niece like she needs to read this my sister she needs to read this and she needs to read and hear your story Mm. and so that also kind of takes it to the other extreme where it's actually not about ego it's like a selfless Mm. I've sort of always struggled with this putting myself out there and writing my opinions and like going on an ego trip on it Mm. but it was so it was nice to hear that balance of you should recognize that what you're doing is actually really beneficial to other people and you're being a servant to them Mm. through writing
1: he also had a really great quote about ego it's about ego but there's a fine line between ego and egoism Mm -hmm. i was like yeah that rings true and i really like the the point that you drew out earlier there was around relaxing into Mm -hmm. your writing and he talks a lot about how in his advice to writers how to get going writing and get to a point where like you kind of build up steam and then you've like written all this pent-up work and then eventually Maybe like Four to five paragraphs In you've like Relaxed into your voice Voice. And he often encourages People to throw out The first four to five paragraphs Mm -hmm. I know that's advice That I've gotten as well Not just for writing Also for speaking Like when you're Mm. Planning out a talk to like write down all your points and where you want to go. And then like look at all the bits that are before you actually get going, mm-hmm. which tends to be like your angst around getting into the writing or getting into the speaking and just throw that stuff out because you don't really need that as much. Right. And I really appreciated that perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had one other tip that I hadn't heard and that I thought was interesting where he says that you're most personal when you write in the first person. Mm, yeah. And so his suggestion is write that way just to sort of get your brain into that zone and method of writing actually write I mm. when you're writing it, but depending on what the outcome is that you're looking for and whatever it is that you're writing, you can go back when you edit and just take out all the I's mm-hmm. and potentially change the grammar as, as you need to. But that's like one tip to keep it really focused on like your perspective, which I was like, oh, that's a good tip. That's a handy tactic.
1: Yeah. One of the points that he returned to throughout the course of the book over and over that I found really beautiful was around how good writing is good thinking. writing is the exercise of thinking Mm -hmm. and that rang really true and I've been thinking about this a lot lately around how I really do write to think Mm. and when I have a problem that I'm working through a lot of times I'll write it out as a blog post Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll publish it Uh, sometimes I won't for example when I was first starting to do the homework screening for our PM interview loop where we we send out a, a homework assignment to candidates and they do some some thought work and send back their response when I first got added to that loop I was trying to figure out like what am I looking for how do I judge this how do I decide if this is a passing grade or not so i wrote a blog post around like everything that i'm looking for and why and I didn't publish that because I'm not going to like hand people a cheat sheet. What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> and it's, it really was an exercise in distilling what I was looking for, why I was looking for it, and looking for the gaps in my understanding there. So I find that a lot of times writing is the exercise of acknowledging and facing the gaps in information that you have, mm. looking for any duplication of logic, and really looking for any contradictions as well in your thinking. And it's amazing how mushy thoughts are in our mind yeah. until we have to start writing them out. Mm-hmm. And I find that writing is the exercise of taking that mush and turning it solid. That's probably my favorite thing about writing. And that's one of the reasons why I find writing so addicting right now. And like once you get into the swing of writing regularly, it just really is a breezy feeling of like, oh yes, now I actually understand what I'm doing and why.
0: I found the same thing with the value that I get out of writing. And I think it's weird that like, so hearing you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Where for me, it's often I'll have some sort of a thought or an opinion on something and then I'll sit down and I find that, Actually writing it out causes me to Just become a little more solidified in Like my opinions and yeah it sort of Exposes some of the gaps in my thinking And like holes in the logic and that's Really beneficial but I don't know if I've Actually ever applied it to what You're talking about like a process Mm. where like you're talking about like, oh, I, I do this process in my day to day job. And like, what am I missing in that process? I can't think of any explicit examples, but I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really that's a great way to do that, because I'm assuming also it's it's back to like to this point of being very personal and how you write. It's probably something where the intention is for it to be shared publicly the tone might be a little bit off. Whereas if you actually focus on it being like you and your perspective, mm-hmm. then you'll be more cognizant of like how you're thinking about it and how you're writing it. And it might actually lead to a better outcome.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree so that with that. That makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. It's, uh, it's uh, now that we're even talking about it, I'm realizing that it's um, the Feynman Feynman physicist. What's his name?
0: Feynman. F E Y I Yeah, I know that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so it's the, the Feynman method of learning. So okay. the Feynman method of learning is to like pick a topic, mm-hmm. write down everything that you know about it as a narrative, explaining it to someone else. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And
1: yep. then go back and look at all the things that you've forgotten or mm-hmm. like, go back and look at all those gaps, research until you've like filled those gaps and then do it again
0: mm.
1: <laughs> until you get to the point where you can tell a cohesive narrative about whatever you're explaining. Right. And that is how you learn it. Right. It's it definitely comes down to the whole adage of like teaching yep. is learning yep. and explaining to other people is learning. I think Yeah. it definitely just like cements those feedback loops in your mind as well.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things that, so I guess I've been writing now for, oh wow, three, four years Hmm. in the sort of like context of like writing about product and writing about what I do and that type of thing. Like external writing for public Uh, consumption. External writing. Yeah. Well, because, yeah. Blogging. Well, yeah. Because, and it also like most of the stuff that I write, like because uh, my company is just me most of the time, I don't really write. I mean, it's like I'm writing emails and I'm Mm -hmm. writing like potentially documents. Um, to contractors and things like that, but yeah, a lot of my like writing to share thoughts and ideas is with hopefully not just me. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I noticed, and I think it's a little bit—I'm I'm assuming this is like a pretty common thing because I have a like a hard science background. Using words that are jargony and are very specific and very like factual is what you do mm-hmm. when you come from the sciences, oftentimes, and it's often better sometimes I think or your work is looked at in a more positive light if it sounds really complicated Uh, (laughs) Um, because you're just like brain flexing the whole time Um, and so one of the points that William makes is around simplicity and how clear, simple sentences using really basic words. And it, it, it's again this point of like clear thinking and clear writing being like hyper connected. Yes, don't want points. Oh, no, that's a good thing. <laughs> it means we have stuff to talk about. Um, but he gives, and he gives an example. And I, I read this sentence and I was like, oh God, I'm so guilty of this. And I think I've definitely gotten better at it over time, but it's still, it, it, I mean, it definitely happens. But the sentence that he gives is he says, I don't want to give somebody my input and get his feedback. <laughs> Though I'd be glad to offer my ideas and hear what he thinks of them. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that is much clearer. Yeah. And the words that he chose are much simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something too where he, he again he talks a little bit more about it and he says clear writing is a result of a lot of tinkering and I think that's one of the false assumptions is that simple writing is easy and it, it's the same principles like design like simple design is not mm. easy it's actually very difficult it's a beautiful analogy and it, it brings it back to this idea of writing being like a creative process and like you have your, your tools and you have a process and you have some sort of create, creative output um, and you need to think about it in the same way uh type of way yeah yeah, yeah I, I was really struck as well by that section around I mean it, it was that section and there's also another
1: chapter about it and mm-hmm. it was woven back through uh, like other sections later in the yeah. book as well the fact that writing something simply does not mean you're writing it poorly right which I I kind of had for whatever reason absorbed that into my psyche yeah yep. it was like if I use small 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 words mm-hmm. I will be like seen as a small 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 mind right uh, and I was really struck by, he, he mentioned at one point that the, um, what was it? Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. Oh, yeah. I think yeah.
0: something like that. It's like <laughs> you're, I love how you're asking the Canadian that.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm asking the Canadian. <laughs> Which inaugural address of one of my presidents? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but it was So it was one of Lincoln's famous speeches. I think it was the second inaugural address. It was something like 700 words long. Mm. And 500 of those words were one syllable. Right. And another hundred and fifty of them were two syllable words. Right. He quoted some excerpts from the speech and it's beautiful writing. Mm-hmm. It like it moves you along through his points and all of it is simple words. Right. right. I was like, oh, this is And it's
0: powerful. It's super powerful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I've definitely been convicted mm-hmm. by this. I would say almost hits you over the head with it throughout the course of the book. Mm-hmm. But I've been pretty convicted by it to like look back over my writing and like pull out all those ambiguous or like jargony terms, and mm-hmm. use the the smallest, most explicit words possible.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things he says is that it's the goal is not to be casual. The goal, how he phrases it, is effortless style. And so it mm-hmm. comes. It's almost like when you see someone and they're like really well dressed, but they're very simply dressed also, and mm-hmm. it's just like it comes across as being effortless, but you know that that person has taken a lot of time to like get the proper like hem. And Mm -hmm. like the the shoulders like fall where they should and the buttons are like the right type of button for the cut of the suit jacket and that type of thing. And so I really appreciated him trying to make that distinction because I think, unfortunately, again, people, when I've heard people speak to this, sometimes they're like, oh, but that comes across as too like friendly and Mm -hmm. too casual. And I think it is a little bit different um, in terms of the types of words that you actually use and your sort of intention with the words that you're that you're picking.
1: Yeah, he made that point really well with the, I think he, he took an excerpt from Faulkner, I think it was, and it was like two or three sentences long, and he, he had that excerpt, and then he rewrote it in a very casual language, right. uh, just the next paragraph down, he's like, compare these two paragraphs and see like, see how they strike you, because they're both very simple, very simply written, but the, like, poor style with the casual tone is so hard to follow. Like, grammar is willy-nilly, like, you don't really understand where the author's trying to take you or what the point is, and it's just completely obvious how much effort went into that effortless simplicity in the paragraph above.
0: Right. Yeah, because also with this, I think it's... I think it's easier to do this also in some ways versus others. Like it's probably I'm I'm assuming like I, again I don't actually know, but I'm assuming it's e- a little bit easier to do this like in emails, and mm-hmm. it's a little bit easier to do this like potentially in chat or something or blog posts or maybe a little bit harder. And I, I bet there's some sort of like a spectrum around like how much attention you would have to pay to being simple in your in your language. Um, but I'm also thinking a little bit about um, just like UI. And like content strategy, mm. and like the words that you're actually using and choosing to put across your product, um, and sometimes I think there's, it's a difficult balance to try to understand. What word do I use here? Do I use the word that is precise, and actually like very, very like richly reflects. The meaning that I'm going for if it is a more complicated word Mm. or do I go for the word that is potentially not quite as accurate but it is um, a much easier word for users to like read and see and understand and respond to and they like have like They have an understanding of like, oh, I know that word means that versus like, you know, people always talk about the example of like the like button and like you always see Mm -hmm. companies that are like, oh, instead of like, I'm going to make it interested or I'm going to (laughs) make it some other thing that's like unique to us. And it's like, okay, sure, you're doing that. And like maybe it is actually more reflective of your product and what you want your product to do. Are you favoriting it? Are you, or are you favoriting you it? Are you hearting, hearting it? it? I don't know. Star. And so I think it's a, again, it's like recognizing like when and where and how the like tenets of writing impact what we do, not just necessarily like I think the act of writing we often think about in terms of like writing a blog post or mm-hmm. writing an email, but mm-hmm. like words are used all of the time, Everywhere. in many ways. <laughs> Basically, what I'm trying to say is that, like, what he's talking about in the book, I think we should probably try to express and explore, like, where else can the ideas here be used and can we gain value from mm-hmm. across, like, everything that we're doing.
1: Yeah, I didn't pull it into the UI kind of perspective. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't draw it there.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, I had to... I've changed the... Oh, God, it was so long ago now, but I changed a bunch of the um, the words um, on Quib. I think... There, you could like stories and you would vote on comments, hmm. I think was the initial um, version. Yeah. So the idea was that it was like you were upvoting comment. And I think I actually had it as just vote. And then over time, it was just like, I don't even know if these are actually that different. Hmm. And am I causing people to be. And it's again, it's one of these things where like it's really difficult, like, at like, you know, small startup scale to understand, like, does it really matter? And like, mm-hmm. who cares? And does anybody notice? Mm-hmm. But there were a couple people who reached out to me and they were like, what does vote mean versus like? Hmm. and like they had actually noticed and I was like, okay, they're noticing and they're not noticing in a good way. Right. Again, I don't know, like I never got any emails. I I probably wouldn't get emails where people are like, I'm so happy that you chose (laughs) vote instead of like, but it's one of these things where it's just like, again, like that was like a decision Mm -hmm. that. You have to make when you're when you're building product, and it was one of the ones where I sort of I, I rolled it back, and I was like, you know what? I don't think there's actually enough of a difference here mm. for me to value having this different word.
1: And then on the flip side of being a PM at a large org like Microsoft, a lot of the considerations that we have around UI language, uh, in addition to like tone and what it communicates, and accuracy and simplicity, is localization. Right considerations because we have dozens of languages that we support, and that in every language you're going to have a different UI impact in terms of like a German word for like is going to be a lot right. longer than the English word yeah. for like, yeah. um, and so that's a another a whole another suite of complications. Where mm-hmm. I have the great fortune to work with someone whose sole job is to do copy for the UI, right. and that is like I'm sure her mind is always in that place.
0: One of the other things, too, with product that makes it um, challenging when you're thinking about words is how something around, like, the frequency that people engage with your product and basically uh, what I'm trying to get to is, like, templates. So, like, I have, like, a template for the emails that go out from Quib. Mm -hmm. And then the content that sits inside of those templates changes. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's often sometimes also, like, a little bit of friction around, like, how do you make sure that you're choosing language that can basically, like, scale Hmm. Um, And that can be used irrespective of the content, even if they might be like a mismatch or it Hmm. might feel a little bit off. Um, And so I think back to William's point around simplicity, I think if you can keep it simple and you don't get sort of super, super precise around what you're doing, then Hmm. probably you're like, okay in that realm. Um, But I think. Yeah, there's just there's a lot of things and uh, like even as we're talking about it I'm like oh yeah words there's like words everywhere and I'm like <laughs> oh I didn't really think about that word I'm like maybe I should have I know a bunch of people who do uh content strategy and it's like when you talk to those people you're like wow this is like really complicated and when you're talking about content strategy there's a few
1: different definitions so which one are you talking about here
0: content strategy well let me ask I'm going to actually throw that back at yeah. you gonna
1: okay. ask you so the, the two main ones that I know of are the content strategists whose job it is uh, they kind of exist within the marketing org Yeah. And so so to me that's content
0: marketing that's strategy that's content marketing
1: marketing strategy yeah, yeah. like the PMM the product marketing manager yeah. is different from the PM and the, their job is to make sure that the product is well communicated and the content marketing strategist's job is to make sure that the tone of the marketing matches everything and it's like, well, like the content calendar is well set up right, and like exactly. what, the, what all the, the yeah. broadcast channels are going to be. Yeah. The other definition of content strategist that I'm aware of is someone whose role it is to kind of make sure that the voice is cohesive within the product right. and things like that. Yeah. So it's really more around like our... Uh, we have a, a person who sits in the product org who's a copywriter right. and it's her role to like make sure our voice is consistent across. So mm-hmm. I guess that could also yeah. be defined. So as that's a my
0: my understanding strategy. of content strategy is that it's like it's th- those are the people who yeah are choosing what words sit on what buttons. Mm-hmm. They're the people who might potentially help draft and edit your terms of service or your Privacy policy Mm -hmm. to make sure they're consistent with the brand. Write your app store update notes. I mean, no, I would say that's like that would be marketing strategy. Yeah, so content strategy from again, and this is like someone who's never actually worked with a content strategist is like my understanding though is that those people. Basically don't touch anything to do with marketing. And they're more, they're designing the product, but with words. Mm-hmm. They're not designing via lines and gradients right. and buttons. They're designing the words. Right.
1: And, and the way it works within Yammer is that we have uh, the early conversations with the PM, the analyst, and the designer also involve the copywriter. Right, And so the copywriter is really intimately involved from the beginning with the designers around, like, if this is the word we're going to be using, how are we going to have the design accommodate
0: that and vice versa? I've had this conversation with other people where I think the definition of this is like not quite 100 percent understood by a lot of people. And I think probably companies use it in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's something to just be aware of when you talk to someone to ensure that you you have come to terms um, with each other and that you are using the same language when you're talking about a specific thing.
1: Yeah fascinating. So one of the things that I didn't necessarily see in the book but the book kind of caused me to think about a lot was around uh, what is what is the value of writing Mm -hmm. in my career? What is the value of writing in my work? Um, And I think a lot about the fact that we talked about external writing is a big thing that we do um, in terms of blog posts and things for public consumption and then there's like content strategy writing around like, how is this going to be like, what's the word that's going to be on the button, right. things like that. Uh, but then there's also a lot of internal communication. That's all writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I work for a company whose product is a platform for written communication right. within a company. Right. So I spend most of my day writing to people. Right. Uh, even, you know, the jokes that pass around over the desks as we sit next to each other, that those are really great, but all the work happens in writing. And uh, I think a lot about the fact that this is, this is the way that I demonstrate that I can do and am good at my job. Right. Um, both internally, which opens opportunities for me in the org. Uh, it allows people to see how my mind works, things like that. And also externally, this is really the only thing that PMs have to demonstrate to the world <laughs> that they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Unless you're writing publicly about like, what your work is and how you're thinking about it, no one from another company is going to be able to say, oh, yeah, like, that person's probably a really good PM. Right. Because it's really hard to tell from the outside how much work a PM did, whether it was good, whether it wasn't, whether the team carried the PM or whether the PM carried the team or, you know, all the different things that are going on. I find a lot of value for my career in both of these, uh, in getting better at both of these and getting better at the internal writing as well as the external writing. And I know that's something that on the external side has also been really important in your career as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something where I think there's... It's interesting. As like a founder, I think there are a couple different schools of thought. Um, some people are very much in the like heads down, just going to work and build stuff and mm-hmm. like not talk about it. And that's great. There's a lot of very successful people who have done that. There's other people who believe that it's really valuable to share with the world what they're working on and how they think about things and what they're building and why. Um, and I think I sort of fall into that. Uh, that second camp and I I think also part of it is just because of the product that I work on where it's about Quib is sharing content that's relevant to your job and then having discussions about it Mm -hmm. so (laughs) it's sort of like if I were not to do that I would almost be a little bit of a hypocrite or not like actually like believing truly in the value that Hmm. my product creates But it's also one of these things where, yeah, like what you're talking about in terms of like communicating with people on your team, for me, the equivalent is, yeah, like emailing uh, users, emailing uh, people who I want to do partnerships with, emailing investors, that type of thing where sometimes it takes me a long time to write an email because it can be, I mean, communicating with people is oftentimes a really high value situation. And so you want to make sure that you're choosing the right words, that you're not leaving anything with like a, so what do you think at Mm -hmm. the end, Mm -hmm. which is just like completely ambiguous and not from a position of like, I'm helping you to make the decision that I want to help you make right now. (laughs) So it's definitely something that, again, I feel like we've talked about this, it's like a little bit undervalued in terms of how important people believe writing to be in in their career overall right I think it really
1: defines the job of a product manager Mm. what you write and I've I've seen it play out time and time again I look back over a thread and sometimes a thread that I'm involved with sometimes a thread that I'm just reading through and I see two people just talking directly past each other right like directly past each other and I'm thinking like how and I mean sometimes it's been me involved in this right right? Um, and it's it's amazing how much like, wasted productivity comes from poor communication. Mm-hmm. And poor communication comes from poor writing. Right. Uh, almost entirely. Um, there's a lot to be said for meetings, and I'll stick out <laughs> a little bit by saying that I really enjoy
0: a good meeting. What? I like meetings. Really? I, really I don't, do. I don't really have any, but I've heard most people hate them.
1: I really enjoy meetings. Okay. I do. I'm coming okay. out of the closet. I'm Internal? Internal meetings. Okay, yeah. Yeah, with people I know, you know? Yeah. I really like it. Okay. There's just this beautiful coming to terms with each other that can happen when everyone sees everyone's eyes. Uh, But outside of that, everything that you do in your job as a product manager is writing words. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy for that to be done poorly. I've been kind of shocked by that Mm -hmm. as I've transitioned into product these past few years, uh, how easy it is to think that you've communicated something and then to find out that you just didn't.
0: Sure. Uh, So, So then what do you think about the importance of the skill of writing for... Because, I mean, you're working with people who are not PMs, mm-hmm. and they potentially are busy working on their other skills. Mm-hmm. And so how do you think about their responsibility to be great writers and to be able to communicate clearly as well?
1: I think it's definitely a leg up to be a great writer I don't think it's mandatory outside of the role of PM Uh, with I mean I guess like marketing and other, there's other roles that have exceptions to that Um, but when I think about the traditional like designer engineer analyst like those those people that you're interacting with um, the way I I form it in my mind is this kind of like wheel with a hub and there's this hub of a PM whose job it is to like communicate out on all these spokes to all this work that's being done and like people oftentimes will talk about like the real work like designers doing real work engineers are doing real work and PMs are like coordinating and ideating. Ideating? I know. I think William wouldn't like that word.
0: Ideating. William would be like, pick a simpler word, (laughs) Anna-Marie. But that is... Coming up with ideas? Coming up with ideas. Creating ideas?
1: Creating ideas. Ideation? Brokering ideas, like encouraging, uh, making space for other people's ideas to blossom and and take shape. Um, And all of this stuff is pure communication and that that is the spokes of this wheel that like reach out from this hub into all these other departments and into the work that they do Uh, if a designer can't design it doesn't matter how good a writer they are sure sure uh, but, and again, this comes back to writing being equivocal to thinking, mm-hmm. like if, if good writing is good thinking and you can see that come through, like being a good writer as a PM should indicate that you're good. I mean, thinking and writing is all we basically do right. as PMs mm-hmm. yep. uh, and emotional management. Right. <laughs> it's tough life. Thinking, writing, emotional tough management. Life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, so for internal purposes, I think that writing is absolutely mandatory for PMs. For external purposes, I think it's mandatory for career growth and, uh, well, it's a leg up for career growth. it's sure. not. It's not mandatory. Uh but it's also I think really akin to like open source software for engineers like it is a way that we give back to our industry Mm -hmm. where how else are you going to learn about how other pms are tackling problems like it's a very isolating role to be a pm at a company and it's hard to see how other people are handling similar problems like obviously you know people have similar hopefully you know that people have similar problems at other organizations Uh, and so writing publicly about problems that you've encountered and ways that you've overcome them as a pm is really like our open source code (laughs) that we give back yeah
0: one of the things that so I'm, I'm laughing because this is one thing that when I picked up this book, I was like, we're clearly going to talk about this and I don't want to talk about it, but I'm going to have to talk about it <laughs> um, in thinking about external communication and yeah writing blog posts, the title ah. and the importance of the title. And he so William doesn't actually speak. To writing titles But he does talk about the importance of writing A first sentence and I think he's Just sort of how the forms Of writing that he's talking about often won't Have a title or the title is not as important As the Mm -hmm. first sentence so it's I I sort of looked at that as the similar Points that he's making You're saying the importance of the first sentence is the importance of the title Of the title in our world yeah it's got it The similar thing right Um, The lead. The lead yeah and it's like it's really hard. (laughs) And I find it's so frustrating too, because like, I'll write a really great title and maybe the blog post itself will be a little bit meh and the post does really well. And then it's a little bit disappointing for me because I'm like, oh, that post wasn't actually that well. I didn't, I don't think it deserves that much attention versus sometimes I'll write a really great post and then maybe time pressure or something. And I don't quite have enough time to get the title as, as great as I think it can be and it won't do really well, and then that's really disappointing because it's a really strong post. And the thing also that I find just really frustrating is there's so many variables that go into what makes a good post, both like external metrics and like what people say about it and comments you get back on it, that it's often really difficult to separate out how much of this was caused by the title, how much of this was caused by the content itself. Because I think the title is really powerful, mm-hmm. oftentimes. Like, I've written – I'm holding my hand over an imaginary um, Bible, but, like, I have definitely written some pretty clickbaity titles <laughs> in my day. And, like, I know that that's what they are. And, again, it's, like, one of these things where if you feel really strongly that the article is great and you want people to read it, then I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to write a title that I know will get people into it. Hmm. Um but it's always like this weird, like I always have a little bit of like a moral dilemma hmm. around like the level of clickbaitiness that I will um, assign to whatever the, the title is. So I don't, I don't know yeah. how you think about do you have well, thoughts on titles or how what your process is. Yeah, all that?
1: yeah, it's interesting that you bring this up because I don't think I would have necessarily, I don't know if I've ever told you this, actually, but I have, <gasps> I have identified this about you. <laughs>
0: Uh-oh. Um,
1: and just, I, there's a spectrum, right? And mm-hmm. I've identified that... Uh, you fall like a little bit more towards the clickbaity side of the spectrum, and like we we do a lot of title I wouldn't say title hacking per se, mm-hmm. but but maybe I would. Yeah. Uh, so title
0: hacking. Oh
1: God. Uh, so I was when when we're writing posts or like when I'm soliciting feedback from you or you from me. Yeah. Uh, I've just noticed that the title is usually like the point of contention in our conversation, oh, where your your feedback is generally like you need a better title, <laughs> Anna Marie. No one's gonna click on that. <laughs> Um, I would definitely be very interested in like a how to write titles workshop. If any of our listeners host workshops on how to write good titles
0: (laughs) I will sign up. Let us know.
1: I'm sure there's like a Coursera or a Skillshare Probably. Probably. on it, uh, yeah. I think it's it's one of the trickier things, and I agree. One of the things that William talks about is the uh, the value of the first sentence, and the, yeah. the first sentence is the most important one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think the title is equivocal. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing, and that is it. Really is. It's the thing that like makes people read so much more so in the blogging space where that's all they see yep. generally, yep. and that's that's you, you've got the title to, to hook them to click even. Yep. Uh, So that's I I think it is Super super important I've struggled with this a lot I read a post recently About titles Mm -hmm. And I remember The author was talking about uh, This is a medium author When he started Becoming a pretty prolific writer on Medium. William
0: would not like you saying pretty. Uh, he would like you to say prolific. Yes. And just own it and not say pretty. That's true. Which That's is, true. I William, think maybe one of my points later, or okay. if not. We're going to do a little micro. Micro point. point sidebar. When you're talking and you're choosing a word, you should not use classifiers. You should be very strong in your opinion and just use the word that you want to use. Right. And if you feel that the word that you're using is too strong and it needs a classifier pick a
1: weaker word that fits the use that you mean.
0: Versus being like, it's pretty prolific. Like, prolific means prolific. Something can't be pretty prolific. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't exist. It's like, it's somewhat
1: unique. Yeah. It's like, how can it be somewhat yeah, unique? it does
0: not exist. Does okay. not exist. Okay, yeah. okay. sorry so, to distract you, but back to your point.
1: Back to the original point. Yeah, yeah. so this author, had, when he became a prolific medium post author or creator, mm-hmm. he would write about the different things that he thought were good ways to, to write titles, and how that's something that he really struggled with for a long time, and so I'm hoping that as I continue to write, I'll start to learn more about like what, what works for titles sure. and also, more to the point, what is true to me right. on a title perspective. Because I find that a lot of times titles are the place where I like slip out of my voice,
0: mm.
1: you know? Because it feels like it's the brand of the piece instead of my writing on the piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: It's really hard because it's one of these things where you have to sort of choose... I mean, you, you do have to make a decision around, do I want it to be extremely reflective of me, mm-hmm. or do I want people to click it and then actually read it? Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard. <laughs> like it it is hard because it's like you want people to hear what you have to say, yet you know that you're in competition with all of these other really exciting words that are floating around that people can click on, mm-hmm. and you have to make yours exciting. And maybe your natural voice and style doesn't come across in the same way or with the same urgency as other people. Yeah. Um. And so I've I've found one of one of the things that definitely happened to me over time was when I first started writing, and I think this goes back to my, like, science background, is the titles that I would write were, like, micro-micro-summary of the entire post. Oh. I was guilty of that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that is
0: still my, like, when I when I write a title, like, that is my gut reaction, is to be, like, micro-summary, like, abstract. <laughs> and that's something that I have to, yeah, like, wrap myself on the knuckles <laughs> over um, because it's just like second nature to me at this point. It's, it, it's really hard because there's no, it's really difficult to separate out why people are reading something. Mm-hmm. Is it the title? Is it the picture? Is it the time? Mm-hmm. Where? How did they find it? They find it because somebody said the content is good or are they just clicking the title because the title sounds good? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found it's one of the things that's really difficult to get better at and to get an understanding of how to improve.
1: Yeah. I'm also looking for that. Speaking of images Mm -hmm. in your posts, one thing that I noticed that was lacking from the book is that the way that we write publicly, like, You use a lot of GIFs in your articles Do I? GIFs, yeah, and I use a lot of Emoji, like a lot of emoji Sometimes I punctuate with emoji, Mm -hmm. and that's Something that was distinctly lacking from (laughs) Any of his conversations, like how do these other Media, like, work into Writing, do you have any
0: thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting Too, because he, in the introduction He says that this is An updated version, and like, the internet And computers exist now, because yeah, when he wrote It in 1976, like, typewriters Yeah, (laughs) and so it it is, like A totally different, uh, you're using a different machine to create the different tool to create the the writing that you're putting out. And so he does talk about, he does talk a little bit about how it's been adjusted over time. But I think the copy that I have anyway, I don't know which copy you have. Same copy. Um, is from 2006 was what I think I saw on the cover. I mean, in 2006, people weren't really using any of those things either. So I wonder if William were still alive and he were updating it, um, it would be interesting to see sort of the evolution of the book over time. It'd be nice, I mean, for someone to maybe try to do that and actually see what other types of media people use to actually convey ideas along with Along with words, but it's you're reminding me of a point which I actually don't have written in front of me because it it is on the chopping floor or whatever that the chopping floor. Oh wait, it's um the cutting floor, cutting, 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 cutting room floor. Yeah, it's on the cutting room floor the idea of writing being a really difficult creative realm to get better in or innovate in because you only have words and so the like tools Hmm. don't change or evolve like you have words and you have sentences and like that's all you have Mm -hmm. and like to be creative in this like extremely constrained Hmm. medium is really difficult but I think what you're saying is like putting that into question where it's like okay well if we consider gifs and emoji to be a new basically like tool that it's like a new innovation in writing yeah then what does that mean yeah and like well writing actually are we are we hitting like an s curve in writing where Mm -hmm. it's like we have all these new tools now we can write in different new ways yeah yeah um Maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, I think probably. I think they're leading to different types of interaction with the content that couldn't exist otherwise.
1: So, my question there is when did emoji and GIF forms of writing become accepted in the public sphere? Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's, that is a very, it depends on where. Yeah. Obviously, it's probably know, not everywhere yet. Yeah. I mean, well, it's... no, because I remember like when I, so I lived in Korea for two years in, oh God, two thousand six to eight or something like that and i remember when i moved back to toronto i was using emoji all the time hmm. and all my friends were like sandy why are you being such like a child and i was like fascinating and i was like what are you talking about i was like emoji are awesome and like stickers <laughs> i would send people stickers and chat and they were just like wtf sandy like that's can't phenomenally interesting and it was really bizarre and now i'm sort of like duh like i told you guys like of course <laughs> it was coming using emoji and so i think yeah i think it's like a question of like different people in different cultures in different mm-hmm. places the adoption is different and it's something where like it'd be really interesting to like compare yeah how they're used in different yeah. countries
1: and i would say even at different industries like i yeah. so i was talking with a, a recent addition to the pm team here at yammer who was formerly uh on wall street Mm. and we were talking about something with emoji support, blah, 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 blah. And she said she had never in her life used an emoji in yeah. an email. Yeah. And never used an emoji. I was like, so not even like a colon,
0: <laughs> close parentheses.
1: Yeah. And yeah. she's like, no. no. Like, yeah. why would I? Like, no one ever did that. Yeah. So you don't learn to do that. Whereas I use emoji profusely. My, my posts are scattered with emoji, both my external posts and also my internal communication within the org. Sure. When I'm writing up a description of like experiment analysis it's got at least 20 or 30 emoji in there because these things are born to read. An emoji kind of gives you like, oh, there's like a crying face emoji here. This one was probably a bad move. Right. Like, we didn't like this part. And like, right. yay, the like ta-da emoji. Congratulations, like this was a big deal. And I find that it's a good anchor emotionally for, for readers. Yeah, I think back to your earlier point, I think it's really interesting to think about like what does this mean in, as an in innovation in writing? Yeah. And I do think, uh, so I, I'm very comfortable with emoji. I'm very uncomfortable with GIFs mm. in writing. I love a good okay. GIF on like a slide or as like as an item to itself mm-hmm. but kind of incorporated into the text of a piece very uncomfortable it's very unnerving for me um, oh so which, it's
0: like a weird it's like a physical yeah un- okay yeah
1: and, and one of the reasons for that is because i'm trying is that why to Why like, don't
0: read my posts
1: i read a lot of your <laughs> posts you are a prolific writer <laughs>
0: As prolific as your emoji use? Uh, yes,
1: maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I've noticed that when when there is a GIF interspersed or interlaced often with the the text, as I'm trying to track the words with my uh, eye, yep. my eyes jumping to the GIF as it's moving, sure. and it's really distracting. It, sure. it just does weird things to me emotionally. Uh, so, but I'm interested in the fact that the fact that you're doing this mm-hmm. to me signals that perhaps it's coming in. You have a tendency to be ahead of the curve.
0: Oh, boy, thank you.
1: Yes. Madam Snapchat Bitmoji way yes. way early. You're very early yes, on
0: Bitmoji. It's true. It's true. I'm teased about it all the time.
1: So, I mean, so maybe this is coming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Gif. and writing. And what does that mean for writing if it's going to be, like, so much of a, like, jumping experience? Yeah. And again, I
0: think it's in thinking about, like, yeah, if, if other... Again, I think it's like, yeah, probably like Asian countries using emoji um, earlier than mm-hmm. Western countries. One of the things I'm interested to see would be in a professional context in Asian countries are emoji used in the same way. Because when I was living there, I was using them like with friends. and stuff. Mm, I see. And what's interesting, it's like a little bit potentially on the other side where I think here in like the Valley and in the Bay Area... We have, I mean, Slack, which is like totally pushing like emoji mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. in a professional context. Right. And so I'd be curious to see if, like, it would just be interesting to see, like, oh, is there more emoji used professionally in the Bay Area? And then because we're creating the tools for people to communicate professionally, they're getting sort of ramped up <laughs> in that world. Versus, I don't know if like again, I don't I don't do business in Asia, so I'm curious yeah. to see like what is it like. The only people I do business with are here, yeah. Um, so I'd be curious to see if that sort of adoption, the, the like we've sort of t- like in the, in, here in the Bay Area, we sort of apply it to everything. And I right. think again, it's comes back to this like startup people like mm-hmm. life is work is work is life, mm-hmm. and so emojis sort of go everywhere. Whereas like I'm trying to think back like when I was working in Korea, I don't know if I used emoji in, like. A work context, so I think mm. it was kind of just with my friends. Mm. So I'd be curious to see if that sort of like expanded. But that was still ten years ago.
1: That was a decade. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, in in yeah. terms of like internet usage, yeah, that's a, a lifetime.
0: Yeah, and I even remember like I had a, a friend from Japan when I was twelve. And I remember she had, like, a really... Like, at that time, like, Japanese phones were, like, the coolest phones in the world. (laughs) And I remember she would always use emoji. And I was like, whoa, what are those cute little, like, and... yeah, Faces. Yeah, I was, like, really confused. But they were, like, amazing. Yeah. And she she was just, like, using them all the time. Yeah. Um, And I thought it was really interesting. It's a good good wrap on the emoji sidebar. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So one of my other points that I had that I'm just gonna stick in here because it's sort of related was the importance of what your writing looks like visually and the idea of having short paragraphs one of the things that William mentions is that the paragraph is a unit versus the sentence as a unit Mm. and when you look at a piece of writing it's almost like a map And having, like, space and air between what you're writing Mm. is really important because it gives the person a little bit of context around what to expect next. And it's sort of, like, giving them – opening up the viewfinder around, like, Mm. what's coming and, like, being a little bit of a a map. And it's something where I've worked with a few um, contractors who are content people, mostly, like, yeah, content marketing, and they are – the ones who I've worked with have all been like, short paragraphs, Andy. Like, mm-hmm. don't make your paragraphs more than, like, three sentences. And, like, if anything, they're, like... They, they've pushed me sometimes to write, like, if I have one long sentence, but it's, like, a good long sentence. Mm-hmm. They're like, that should be its own paragraph. Mm-hmm. Which, like, to most of us, like, you know, going to school and, like, learning an English class. Like, like, you would never sentences. have a one-sentence paragraph. And so I think this is, like, writing blog posts that type of content it's often important to make sure that there it, it feels like there's some sort of a flow and that you can get through it uh, visually mm-hmm. yeah he, he, I mean back to the point of
1: what we learned in school and how applicable that is now he talks a lot about teaching people to kind of unlearn some of these systems yeah. that they learned in school and I think the paragraph yeah. is one of those like right. the 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 fact that a paragraph should be five to seven sentences is a forcing function that teachers use to get students to think about thoughts in larger than a sentence form mm-hmm. right and think like how how big is a thought and how much space should it take up uh, whereas that's it's not necessarily the case that you should have five sentences to a thought right uh it just helps students learn that he also talks about the one two three and summarize yeah <laughs> like roman numeral one roman numeral two yeah. roman, it's a great form when you're learning about how to how to be logical yeah. and he talks about the point of, of using that form and enforcing yeah. that form is to teach people to be logical in how they write yeah
0: and once you've learned that, then you can be logical in any way you, you damn well choose. Yeah, um, and that was, yeah. I mean, just a, a little sidetrack. But like that was how, if you can find them, I hope you can. But like the very first blog post that I re- that I wrote, yeah. I was like, oh my god, I don't know how to do this because I think again I was coming from the world of like writing scientific research to be submitted to journals and mm-hmm. like government documents. And so for me to figure out how to write about just, like, a a random thing that I had learned Hmm. was really difficult. And so I was like, okay, one, two, three paragraphs. I'll put a, like, heading for each paragraph, and that'll sort of guide what's underneath it. And then I'll have an intro and a conclusion. Mm -hmm. And that was where I started. Mm -hmm. And I... Don't like I don't remember any milestones around like when I like broke out of that like structure, but it was something that just having like a little bit of a framework for me was really important at the beginning and, and helpful. Even though looking back on it, I'm sort of like, oh my god, that's so bad. Um, Do you
1: go back and reread old posts and like look back at nope. your style? <laughs> it is really no, thank difficult. You. It's like trying to watch yourself on a recording, yeah, or listen to yourself on a podcast. Oh
0: yeah, because I've done that too. Have you not listened to our podcast, Sandy? No. You keep telling me I have to, but I have to listen to it.
1: (laughs) Whoops. Uh, Yeah, I think there's a a lot to learn from revisiting things, which leads directly into my next point. Oh, perfect. Conveniently enough, which is about what writing is. Mm. So what writing does for you is it helps you think and it it can help advance your career. It can handicap you if you're not doing a great job of it. Uh, But what writing is, according to William, is rewriting. I found that the more that I write, the better I get at rewriting. I used to be really kind of offended at the idea (laughs) of like, how dare someone suggest that I have to go back and make this better. Sure. Right. There's this amazing song uh, from a musical that I love, Little Women, actually, the musical, and oh, that's Joe, a it's, yes, Little yeah. Woman the musical, okay. and Joe sings this amazing song when Professor Bear like gives her feedback that she could write a better story, mm-hmm. and she has this great song about like how dare you say I could be better, like how could I be better than this, yeah. like this is already great. And I kind of feel that way a little bit, like and maybe that's the egoism mm-hmm. of writing coming into it. But I have historically felt like kind of miffed, sure, even at, at thinking that I should do it for myself without someone else telling me. Uh, but as I've done more and more writing, I've started to to really enjoy the process. of rewriting and revising and editing. Mm. was it I mean it's, it's attributed to Mark Twain. I'm sure it wasn't actually Mark Twain, but it was a great quote of uh, I apologize for writing you such a long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one, right
0: Yeah
1: <laughs> uh, It does take a lot of effort to rewrite. It takes a lot of effort to edit to be simple, to be simple. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think good simplicity comes from good rewriting. Uh, And the the first pass is really just kind of spilling out onto the page. And then, I mean, the number of times that I've cut whole sections or made whole different blog posts out of something or uh, reconstructed and completely flipped the order of things like all of this, I've started to develop a real joy around it, which I think is probably a good sign in terms of my, my trajectory as a writer. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I am conflicted on this point oh. <laughs> because. So I totally agree that yes, rewriting oftentimes is really important. Will lead to a higher quality, um, whatever post, email, etc. I at the same time know that my and this is something I don't know if it's in your points. We haven't talked about it yet, but your actual like process for mm. how you actually write. And for me, it seems like. Basically, once every two weeks at about 5 p.m., <laughs> I just like all this like stuff just wants to come out mm-hmm. of my mouth slash fingers and like get onto the page slash screen. Mm-hmm. I just will like blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. and that stuff is the like tone of it is like. It, it's, I don't know if it's because it's like more emotional stuff mm-hmm. or something, but it's like often very accurate and true and like it's the kind of stuff where once I write it, I feel that it loses value by me spending more time hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And it potentially, because it's written when I'm in a certain state of awareness or Mm -hmm. have a certain feeling, and if I go back and edit it for, like, simplicity or clarity or something, it almost loses some of that because I'm automatically in a different state. Totally. And so I agree that, yes, most of the time of, like, yes, like, editing is really important and going back and, like, focusing on being really simple and spending the time to pick a really great title and really Mm -hmm. great subtitles and all that type of stuff. But every once in a while... Um, there's definitely some stuff that I write where I just like sit down. And I'm just like, blah. Yeah. And then it's done. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, good. Cool. Just, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the type of stuff too, where I'd be curious. I should probably go back and look at it now. Mm-hmm. And because maybe it is just like at the moment, I like just feel so strongly that I'm like this, this is like so core mm-hmm. and like, it is what it is. But I wonder if I went back and looked at it now If I would feel differently
1: I absolutely agree with you on this point I think probably about 10% of my writing Maybe 5% comes out of exactly that feeling Uh, For me, it's usually around midnight okay okay <laughs> yours hits you at five Fine. five yeah. mine usually hits me um, i'm a morning
0: person anna marie is not i am not anna marie is the afternoon late night person an afternoon person i've <laughs> never heard of an afternoon person what do you mean you're like morning well not a morning person sounds so negative oh so. oh i'm
1: not a morning person yeah God.
0: but that's you don't want to see. i'm trying to anyway anyway no i can i can take you're it. an afternoon person and yet
1: we managed to be friends <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So I some usually somewhere around like 11 p.m. or midnight. I'll have been thinking about something for a while. Usually it'll be something that's like really deeply emotional. And it's just something that I've maybe talked with people about and had some time to reflect on. I'm usually about to go to sleep mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, I gotta write a post. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I am like, no, I'll just write in the morning. And like, no, if I if I try to write in the morning, I'm not gonna write it. I'm not gonna have this feeling. I'm not gonna and so I'd like get out of bed, pull out my laptop, and like sit there and just like vomit onto the screen. Mm. Uh, and that's a horrible word, but it's just the best description for what it is. And it yeah. comes from like this absolutely intense place. I think some of the best pieces I've ever written have come from this. And they've been almost completely unedited. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've definitely gone back through for, like, a grammar pass and a spelling pass because I am horrendous Mm. at grammar and spelling. Well, actually, I'm okay at grammar. I'm really, really bad at spelling. But other than that, I've basically just published them whole hog. And those pieces, I think there's something, I mean, he talks a lot about, like, writing is, like sinking into yourself. Mm-hmm. Over time, I've just been trying to develop that awareness of when I'm in that state and I have that thing to say and pay attention to that sense in my body and like do yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Cause it's, it's interesting. It's like, like I have this one post that has, I don't even know at this point, maybe like 15,000 views and like mm-hmm. I wrote it and like a bunch of people reached out and there's a ton of comments on it and everybody really liked it. And that was one of these like, yeah, 5 PM. Like, and it was interesting. It was coming from a place of frustration Mm. where I had this like idea I kept talking to people about it and no one understood me and Mm. I was like god damn it why don't you get it (laughs) (laughs) and I was just like and so and it goes back again to this idea of like thinking clearly and writing clearly and blah 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 and maybe I wasn't like actually expressing myself very well my thoughts were just sort of falling out of my mouth but Writing it down forced me to to have a little bit more clarity around what I wanted to say, but mm-hmm. because I had been thinking about it so much mm-hmm. that when I wrote it, it was like it just kind of came out and it was clear yeah. um, in writing it. But I, I, yeah, like that was not something that I spent a bunch of time on um, editing it and rewriting it. And it still is like it, it did really well. Yeah. Or really well in like multiple ways, like number of views, but like also like people's opinion on it mm-hmm. and like people reaching out to me yeah. and like a, a bunch of stuff. It it scored high yes. across the board.
1: I know exactly the piece you're talking about and yeah. I concur wholeheartedly. Yeah.
0: I had a conversation recently with uh, a guy who is, I don't remember his title exactly. He's one of these like managing editor or editor in chief or chief editing person at (laughs) um at like a big successful startup um here in the bay area and we were talking about he does a lot of um like external blog posts um podcasts um that type of thing they do events as well and it was interesting his how he sort of thinks about his role i was really curious i was like oh like how do you think about what it is that you do and he comes from um the, a background in working at newspapers. And he's like, you know, I sort of think about it almost as if the company is, like, my beat. And my hmm. job is to, like, go around and, like, pick out what are the interesting stories. Huh. And so I thought it was really interesting to hear from him this idea of not expecting everyone else who you work with to be best skilled at picking out what their interesting story is. Hmm. And that that was sort of like his job. And I think it's one of these things that I know I struggle with in trying to figure out what I want to write about externally. I'm like, well, this isn't interesting. Like nobody's going to care about this because it just becomes like mundane once you're like doing it every day all the time. Um, And so it was really interesting that that was sort of like his role was Mm. to like go and find those interesting stories. Um, And then also what it reflects back on is another point that William makes consistently across the book is it's all about the humanity and one person's perspective on something that makes something powerful and interesting. And Mm. so while this like, again, yeah, this like the company is his beat guy would go around and find a story that maybe was about um, some new tool that a designer was building and was using internally. Um, The ability for him to sort of draw the person out in that story was what was most important. And it was the humanity that really mattered. Um, And so I think this like applying this idea of it's about the person you as the writer, Mm -hmm. but also the idea of trying to find like, a person to be the focus of anything and everything that you write is is really important.
1: Yeah, he had a beautiful quote I, I didn't write down, but something around the, the lines that there's nothing like a narrative that compels us more as readers. Like there's something that yeah. has like
0: that human element at the core. Yep. For whatever reason that is that drives us. Yeah. And so when I when I talked to him about that I was like, oh interesting. I was like I wonder what and where and how I do not have a narrative in what I'm writing that could potentially have one and it Hmm. just seems like it's not supposed to or whatever. Um, and I know that like, this is one thing where it's and it's reversed too sometimes like when you're writing sales emails, Like, I know, I'm saying this as someone who's never written a sales email, so anyway, maybe I should not say this, but, like, one of the things that I've heard is, like, you want to talk about you, and, like, you want this, and you can do this, and you Mm -hmm. you you, and so sometimes the recognition of the I and the power of the narrative is not necessarily your narrative, Mm -hmm. But, like, helping to craft and create a narrative for someone else, but making it about one person. Yeah. Versus just, like, this product can do X, Y, Z. Right. I Y, Z. I don't X, know. X, Y, Z. Oh, you said X, Y, Z. Did I? You I, did. I forget yeah. what's mine and what's yours. <laughs> um, so, it, but it's, again, it's back to this, like... Just thinking about what it is that you're writing, recognizing that like, oh, yeah, right. I need to have something here about like a person or humanity. And is that in terms of how you think about highlighting something in your company Mm -hmm. or something in your product or somebody who worked on some aspect of your product? Or is it in communicating with someone else and like, oh, wait, should I be the center? Mm -hmm. Should I be the focus? Am I the humanity that matters or are they the humanity that matters? That's a great way to put it. Um, And just trying to think about some of that stuff. Um, when you're writing.
1: Yeah. I definitely took away from this book a few things that like, ah, that's something that I'm going to work into my writing. And, right. and that was one of the things yeah. is a desire. Like I don't necessarily build around narratives for anything that's not a personal story. Like mm-hmm. I write a lot of personal stories, mm-hmm. but if it's not a personal story, if it's a piece about like
0: how oh. our product team
1: works, right? Yeah. I usually write it from this like weird abstract bird's eye third right. person, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, And from this book I took away Oh Maybe I should be A little bit more personal About Mm -hmm. those things And maybe not personal to me But personal to some Like some human Like who's the humanity In this story I like that Yeah on that note One of the things I really liked about this book Is uh, similar to the negotiation book That we did Mm -hmm. In the previous episode There's a lot of tactics Mm. It's it's a very tactic heavy book And Mm -hmm. I found a lot of little things Like one of the things You pointed out earlier Is that you can To focus more on you You can write the whole thing In the first person And then go back And take out all the eyes And make them ones or we's sure. or you's or things like that and uh, I really enjoyed that so I don't I'm not necessarily going to pull out any tactics right now and, mm-hmm. and talk about them because we've done a lot of that throughout the course of this conversation but I just want to point out that that was something I really respected about the book
0: so I don't know if I would agree with that I I think a lot of th- there were a bunch of how-tos but I think that for me it was almost that a lot of his how-tos maybe because and this sounds horrible but I feel like a lot of them was like oh yeah know that know that know that mm. So like he talks a lot about like using active verbs mm-hmm. and he talks about using the talking from your perspective. I guess that one was new to me. I can't I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but I found that the tips and tricks of the book yeah. were good, but I didn't find myself writing any notes down mm. to myself to be like oh Remember, yeah like that. I have to go back and do that for sure what about like the clarifiers like don't use clarifiers use yeah. the word that means the level I think thing. I already knew that I think I was doing yeah. that already or I'm already like when I go back and edit I'm already cutting those out yeah and even, like, the, his under, his, like, being, like, choosing the right word and making, and, like, standing by it and mm-hmm. having it be your opinion, I think it's definitely something that I did not do a while ago. Right. And also, I mean, maybe I'm just saying all this. Maybe I'll go, maybe I should look at some of my posts. <laughs> maybe I'm actually not doing this at all, and I just think I am. But, but yeah, I thought there there were a bunch of tips. I found, for me, they were also a little, like, scattered. Yeah. Like, I would have appreciated having, like, a cheat sheet at the end, like a, two, like a two-sider, That's where nice. it could be, like, whatever, like, here's an editing how-to, because, yeah. I mean, the subtitle of the book is The Classic Guide to Writing Nonfiction. And so he knows the audience. He yeah. knows who it is that's going to be using this. He explicitly outlines the types of writing that you're going to be, um, that, that he expects to be written in association to people reading this book. And so I was kind of like, I want like a, like just give me a little thing. Like instead of just having it scat. And hmm. also I found the organization of the book to be a little bit off. There's like kind of a clump of stuff at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's kind of similar to the clump of stuff at the end. Yeah, And then there's all these chapters where it's like, again, sports. I'm not gonna be writing about sports. Right. I skimmed it to see if there were any like comparisons I could make to what I'm doing, but the, yeah. on so, the on the tip thing I was like a little Yeah, I, I think they're there. I think they're good, mm-hmm. but I do wish that they were more accessible.
1: Yeah. I, I mean I found a lot of the
0: the smaller things like starting sentences with but Mm -hmm. is a
1: good thing. And even even some discussion on that and which Mm -hmm. and a lot of things like that. So it may be that the tactics hit home for my like where i am and again the course of my writing mm-hmm. um, more so than for you and i found it really beneficial so i had a lot i wrote down a lot of notes on that yeah i, I disagreed pretty vehemently with his discussion on the third person singular pronoun of choice oh yes he he, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> he devoted a quite large section to yeah. like issues of sexism and writing
0: yeah and he, Which it sounded like also when I read that, I was like, oh, this looks like it's been added since 1976. Yeah, and
1: he, he, he called that out explicitly. Oh, he, okay. he said that okay. a lot of writers, a lot of women writers, have written to him oh, right. That's it. Yeah. since he wrote the original uh, edition yeah. and had like pointed out, and I think he, he even called out something like 300 or something uses of the word he and him <laughs> and his that he was able to just shift by making it plural, right? by changing the sentence to make it, um, like, what are some other examples? He, he listed a lot of examples of how to get around using the f- singular sure. third person pronoun. Sure. And I liked that. I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that it's very easy to use the feminine pronoun,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to use a plural. I like they as a singular. Sure. I do use it as a singular. Yep. I think English is a living language and it's completely appropriate to yep. do that. And I would have liked to have seen him like take a stance on that. Yeah,
0: because it's a little... I'm, I Again, I, I finished this book a few weeks ago so it's a little rusty in my my little little noggin but one of the things that um i remember reading that section and he kind of just like throws his hands up at the end and he's like so i'm just gonna use he he like gives all this like it's hard and i switched all these ones and i it's because i got this and like i tried really hard right but eh, there's still a bunch of them and it's the best way so thanks bye
1: yeah okay thanks bye and i was like really yeah i know and i did appreciate his points around you can change their wives and children to their family. Right. And that makes the whole sentence gender neutral and things like that. And I was like, okay, it's not just about how you choose the pronoun. It's also how you construct the sentence. I appreciated that approach. But I think that in addition to changing your sentence construction to eliminate those pronouns, you can also just use the plural, or you can just use she, her.
0: One little thing that I was hoping would be in this book, Hmm. but was not in this book. uh. I mean, he hints at it a little bit, but whenever I talk to anybody about writing, and this is just about writing um, blog posts, everyone's always like, it's hard. It's really hard. I know I should start. I know I should do it, but I just need to get in the habit and <laughs> blah, 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 And I think he says a couple of things that I was like, yeah, these are all encouraging where he says, you know, nonfiction is easier to start with writing because you're writing about something that you already know and there are things that you don't have to seek out Hmm. you don't have to do any sort of like um quest to understand oftentimes you can find something that you already know to write about i think it's also from my perspective i mean and again totally different different people but i find it's a lot easier than fiction because you don't really have to keep track of like imaginary stuff Uh, it's like like, the truth is easier to remember than lies exactly exactly um and he talks about people having like a fear of writing and that's definitely something that I've had like many conversations with different people about mostly other founders who are like oh I'm like scared to put my ideas out there Mm -hmm. I also like there's we spoke about this idea of like writing being an act of ego and I know several people who have said similar things to me where they're like yeah it feels really just like kind of smarmy for me to like talk about myself and what Mm. I'm doing all the time and so I think that's a barrier I think there's a lot of barriers to getting started and that was one thing that I was hoping he would talk about Mm -hmm. was like how to get started. Yeah. Because I think it's one thing where, I mean, you, I know you do this where sometimes you'll write things and you don't publish them. And it's like, maybe that's what for some people Mm -hmm. like would actually work. It's Mm -hmm. like, you just need to get going and get in some sort Mm of um, a flow where you're actually writing. And yeah, maybe, maybe publishing it is like another step for you. And Mm -hmm. that's great. But like to just do something versus all or nothing. And I was, I was hoping he would have some like tips on that. Um, I have a friend who, it was a few years ago now, but um, he would wake up every day and write, I think, either 250 or 500 words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for a while as well. I did it for maybe like six months, uh, about a year ago, where it's a really, and you just sort of, you just literally wake up and you have your journal like right there. And it's not necessarily a journal, but it's like, yeah, like the physical thing looks like a journal and you just write stuff. Mm-hmm and it's just a way for you to like clear out your memory because or clear like clear all the like clutter out of your mind because oftentimes you find when you sit down to write something Some of that stuff is already there, irrespective Mm -hmm. of what you're actually... The topic that you're actually looking to write about. Artist pages, they're called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard them called morning pages. Morning pages? Morning pages, artist pages, yeah. So, but I was, like, sort of hoping for some stuff like that in this book, where he talks... It's almost as if this is, like, the intermediate book. Yeah. Because it's, like, the beginner book is, like... How to get going. Yeah, and I think most people struggle. Like, when I talk to people about writing, that is by far um the more common issue that people have it's not about getting better or becoming um more clear and you know expressing their thoughts it's just about Mm -hmm. how do i get started yeah do you get
1: similar yeah well that i mean perfectly leads into my last point perfect (laughs) look at at (laughs) us so my not scripted
0: people unscripted
1: unscripted segue yeah so my last point was on how to jumpstart your writing process oh. because I felt that was missing.
0: Yeah, okay. From right? It is missing, <laughs> right? It's missing. It is
1: definitely missing. Yeah. It's definitely missing. And so I, I was reflecting on how I got into writing, uh, how I got into writing externally. Because mm-hmm. obviously a lot of this book is applicable across all types of uses of words. Yeah. And some of them you don't have a choice. Yeah. You have
0: to so do your job. people. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. exactly. But have with, to pick the word for the button. Yeah.
1: When it comes to writing externally, uh, I remember... My process and how I got to the point where I was doing quite a lot of it. I publish about an article every other week, Mm -hmm. I would say. I got coffee with Diana Mm Kimball, who's a product manager at Quip.
0: Yay, Diana. Yay,
1: Diana. Also has a podcast. Yay. The Should We Podcast. So I remember talking with her about writing, and I was following her online, another friend that I had met online through her writing. And I was asking for her advice. I was like, how, like, how can I start writing? Like, I need help with this. And her advice was around these little, this week I learned articles Ah. that she wrote. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so she would just write a little article. It was more or less a bullet point list of things that she had learned that week. And I was like, you know what? That's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thought. Like, it's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe I'll just start doing those. And boy, was that a snowball that just built and built and built and built. Mm -hmm. So I started for the first few weeks. I would write an eight-point, bullet-pointed list.
0: Yeah, I remember these lists.
1: Yeah, there were very, very little, but I published them. And I do think publishing is an important part of the process. I don't think, I, for some people, perhaps it could work where you just get into the habit of writing and mm-hmm. then you get into the habit of publishing. Sure. But I think getting into the habit of publishing before you're even in the habit of writing right. is actually the, a better way to jumpstart your process. Uh, because I found that as soon as I started doing that, a week or two later, I just, like, things bubbled up that I wanted to write about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was so easy because I was already publishing. Right. Uh, And so I really encourage anyone who's listening, who's thinking about how they want to get into writing, to find little things like that. And maybe it's not a list of things that you learned, but something that you put out publicly that's, like, really easy for you to produce. Yeah,
0: because I had a similar, like, thing. Like, my thing that I did was I would go to events and I would write up Mm -hmm. the various speakers. Mm -hmm. And so I would, like, summarize what people had talked about mm-hmm. in their talks or presentations. Which is not on you, really. Which is, yeah. So it, it it was good in a couple ways where it sort of allowed me to, like, not feel the weight of, like, the pressure of, like, come up with interesting opinions, Sandy, <laughs> and yeah, back them up and, like, uh, feel confident in yeah, them. Yeah. Because all I was doing was just, like, summarizing someone else's points. And, yeah, as, like, a grad student, like, you get really good at, like, somebody's talking and you just, like, write down all their words. Mm. And so I could take really, like... Um, highly detailed notes and then I would have basically everything I needed there and then these are events that would be closed off in some way yet had like a bunch of interest around them and Mm -hmm. so when I published them people had already heard of the speaker there's like all the associated clout with the speaker Mm -hmm. with the event Mm -hmm. I would have a really fast turnaround I would publish them the next day and so people would already be like aware of that thing in the world and so I would get a lot of eyeballs on this content and it had basically nothing to do with me but what happens by default is when you don't just write like literally a summary mm-hmm. is you're forced to include your own sort of like little summaries and mm. assumptions and you do your your opinion and your voice its is way there in. <laughs> and you want it to be there um, but that was my like equivalent of like getting started was um and i i wonder too uh, as i think about it like i probably learned a little bit around structure and that was probably Mm. the first break away from my like point one two three intro conclusion because people who make presentations i mean you also have a flow you Mm. also have like a peak like it's it's good people can design a good presentation that has like a nice flow to it and so i wonder if i like subconsciously learned a little bit about like structure through Like basically transposing those presentations. Yeah. So that was like, yeah. So for me, that was mine. And so it's interesting. So you had this, what you learned. And so I bet there's like probably something in whatever, like, whatever it is that you do in your role and whatever, like, how you're involved in product that you can that you're getting i think the the important part is that it's something that has a high frequency and feedback for you it's like once a week like you you can have this like okay you're learning enough stuff that you can make a list Mm -hmm. for me there's like there was more than enough events in the bay area for me to find something interesting to write about i think i was doing it like every week or every two weeks yeah um and so that has this like and it's it's something that, yeah, can allow you to just like keep doing it and it's constantly going and you don't, you're not sitting back like, whoa, well, I don't know what to write about because yeah. that's, again, like one of the biggest hurdles that I'm, right that I hear anyway. Well, I
1: think it's like this intersectionality of not knowing what to do and being afraid of it. Yeah. And so if you can kill one of those pieces, which yeah. is the not knowing what to do and kind of yeah. bypass that one, then eventually you'll less, like, loosen the grip of fear yeah. around it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do think publishing is a really important part of that. So just encourage you to, to look around, find something that's a really easy entry point. That has a pretty high frequency, a nice, yeah, like really fast feedback loop, and start doing that like regularly, and pretty soon you'll you'll see that there are other things that you want to write about. Yeah. So that was my last point. Do okay. you have any
0: other points? I am flat out. Flat out. Flat out. Flat out. Of expression? Points. I'm bad at expressions today.
1: No, you're doing great. X Y Z.
0: Z Z. <laughs> Z. Uh.
1: So so what do we think about this book? Who is it for? How do we like it? What are your thoughts?
0: I think that the book, I, I. So I was thinking about this earlier, and I was like, I don't even know. What is our? We're out of five. Out of five. Out of five ponies. Out of five ponies. I feel like it's probably three ponies, and uh, what's the half man, half pony thing? Bose. Matador. A matador. What is oh, it? That mythical oh, creature. Oh,
1: um, <laughs> it's not a pony. <laughs> Centaur? A
0: centaur, yeah. I'm gonna say it's <laughs> three ponies and a centaur. <laughs>
1: what an absurd rating.
0: Well, because I feel like half a pony is a little bit gross. It's like a chopped up pony. <laughs> so at least a centaur is like he's alive and he's not bloody or you know So yeah. So oh. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say three ponies and a centaur. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> okay. Uh okay and then, I, I was I don't know, like it's good. Just the structure was a little bit obnoxious. I think his, his points were really good. I think it could have been updated a little bit. Like, again, yeah. no talking about titles. He he sort of hints at, like, you know, you write emails too, but he doesn't actually talk about writing yeah, emails. Yeah, he doesn't talk about It's, like, yeah. maybe a little bit too highbrow in its approach, which, again, makes sense. He's, like, he was, like, a He's journalism to, like, professor like, and, yeah. like... Yeah, um, I, I think we did learn a lot from it Or were able to actually like sort of bounce back our own assumptions Around what we're doing and are we making good decisions So that was good, but I um, was not blown away Yeah, yeah, I think it's, for
1: the more junior writers It's going to be a better book
0: mm-hmm.
1: So I'd say for someone who I, I would consider myself a slightly more junior writer than you And so I think for me it was better like, sure. There are more things that hit home that I sure. hadn't like internalized yet mm-hmm. uh, So I would say from my perspective, like I don't know, three and three quarters to four ponies. Okay. Um, definitely no bows, though. Okay. It's just, like, a very... It's no very spark- stable. Star- no, they're definitely not sparkling. Okay. Like, they're very stable stalwart
0: ponies. Ponies. Right? They're not even colored. Okay. Right? They're, they're, from, from, Sable. they're from Sable Island. Sable from Island Sable. is an island off of my home province. <laughs> There's wild ponies. Oh. They're okay. very, like, short and... Yeah. Yeah, wild hair. Great. So yeah. this is a
1: short wild-haired <laughs> pony, for a pony. Four of them. Yeah, okay. four of them. Okay. Uh, for the for a more junior writer, I think for a more senior writer, drop it down to three. Uh, in terms of the audience, I think every person in product should read this book. I think it's a very good. Book.
0: And it's, it's also, it's easy to read.
1: It's super easy to read. It's And, and, and he's like, like
0: and it, what I found really interesting too is like, it's dry, but like, he's like a little bit quirky and funny. Mm-hmm. And like, again, he does such a good job, even just reading it for the writing itself. Yes. And like looking at it, like at a meta sort of a way, you can actually see like, oh yeah, he writes so, like, it's so clear. Yes. And the words he uses are very simple. Yes. And, like, even looking at it in that type of a way, I think um, that, that if anything, was the part that I appreciated yeah. the most. I think even just the feedback of that, where he would point out something about how to write well, mm-hmm. and
1: then I would start noticing it in his yeah. writing. Yeah. And, like, that iteration yeah. in my mind was mm-hmm. really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. It's super well written. It would be really embarrassing if it were... not <laughs>
0: Worst writing book ever.
1: (laughs) Uh, And it's really enjoyable, easy read. So I do encourage it for, uh, I would say, anyone who uses words. And as more and more of our work is knowledge work and more and more of our... I mean, I do think product managers, that's what we do. We do writing, we do thinking, and we do emotional management. Strong recommendation.
0: Yep. Okay, well, let's, let's wrap it up there. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in case you're interested in following up with us... Uh, Just a quick reminder, I'm Sandy McPherson, founder at Quib. You can find me on Twitter at Sandy Mac, which is S-A-N-D-I-M-A-C.
1: And I'm Anna Marie Clifton, product manager at Yammer. And I'm on Twitter at TweetAnnaMarie.
0: You can also find uh, Clearly Product at Twitter, which is just at Clearly Product. And on the website as well, which is where you can find episodes and updates. We have a newsletter as well that should be starting soon. Should it? So you can <laughs> sign up for it there. And that's just at uh, the website is clearlyproduct.com. Yeah, we got the .com. Yeah, yes.
1: <laughs> All right. Don't forget to subscribe and see you next time.